0: Okay, hi. Hello. I'm I'm Erika Granby, and I live in Stockholm, Sweden.
1: My name is Hayes Hawk. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Dr. Professor Sudha Reddy uh, in India. Hi, my name is Elki. I'm
2: a midwife in Anchorage, Alaska. And my name is Hannah Freywald. I'm originally German. I've been living in Guatemala for the last 31 years. My name is Hannah Darlin,
1: and I'm
0: professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University in uh, the west part
1: of, of Sydney, Australia. My name is Debbie Engelbrecht. I live in South Africa.
0: I'm Zasuri Anakubra from Uganda, East of Africa. I'm a midwife for seven years. And I've been a midwife for 20 years.
1: I first got into maternal child health in
3: 96 when I was living in Chile. I'm living in Dimona, Israel, in the Hebrew-Israelite community. And
4: it's incredibly powerful to witness the birth of a child and the birth of the family and the birth of the individuals in the room.
1: For me, it's the most wonderful, amazing, miraculous honor ever our job as midwives
2: is to be sherpas not usurpers for me it's a sacred place it's a secret place it's a private place and i have the honor of receiving these little
3: babies
1: i'm i'm in the business of watching universes being created i mean th- there's no better job
3: hello and welcome back to the worldwide midwifery podcast i'm your host augustine colbrook this episode, we take a wild trip to Sweden, and we get to speak to not one, but three experts. I'm so excited to introduce our first guest. Well, actually, let's let her do it, because she's been introducing every episode so far.
0: Okay, hi. Hello. I'm, I'm Erica Greenberg or Grönberg, and I live in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, I am a midwife here and I've been a midwife for 20 years. Currently, or for quite some years back, I've been working at a maternity ward um, here in Stockholm. But I, I have lived in England for a long time and I actually did my nurse training in England. And that's why I have this sort
1: of half British accent. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, Well, I don't know if you knew this, but I lived in Denmark for a year. Oh,
0: really? So you speak some Danish?
1: Just not the dance. Just not sense. It's not dance. <laughs> nice.
0: That's <laughs> That's great. I didn't know. Did you practice as a midwife in Denmark as well? or?
1: I didn't. I studied a bit, but I, I, I never uh, was catching babies. I was, I was uh, 18. So two, I was okay. still in in. So school. how long
0: have you yeah. been a midwife? Can I ask you? Uh,
1: yeah, I've been a midwife for 20 years.
0: that's the same as me then
1: I love it I thought that might be the case
0: (laughs) yeah and so for a long time but like I said I haven't practiced on the labor ward for a while or for quite some time I do do the maternity bit you know mostly so Uh but that might be interesting to hear about as well how we do go about things over here as well Over here, as you might know, because of the U.S. with the abortion, new abortion uh, laws that are going to be—I don't know if they've implied them yet—because of that debate, the debate is in in the U.S. is the debate is going on here as well, and we are very, very sort of worried about that it might influence people over here. What's going on in the U.S. So i'd like to hear some more about that at some other time perhaps but you know
1: well that is Um, the problem isn't it the u.s has so much uh influence and it it, and with its current politics it is potentially negatively impacting lots of places in the world i've heard Mm -hmm. that from several of the callers so it's quite fascinating this is what i'm loving about this venture already is that we yeah. have midwives with different accents um, and different paths to education and different practice environments all over the world. And yet they all say the same thing, which is, is really one of the most fascinating pieces of this yeah. project. In the U.S., yeah. oftentimes a midwife takes care of a client all the way through. And that's not quite the case where you are, right?
0: Well, we have that too. Uh, it's called like caseload midwifery, we call it. Um, um where you are actually having um somebody uh where you follow your pregnant woman all the way through to labor ward basically and and also the aftercare Um, but i work at a maternity ward where you look after the pregnant woman um throughout and then in stockholm we have like five Uh, big major hospitals where the woman then go to have her baby and you don't see the same midwife but we have also like a current project in Stockholm something called caseload midwifery which is also where basically I think it is still a project and um, we're going to perhaps implement it so that you can choose whether you can do the caseload midwifery or, or go to a maternity ward where you have caseloads mid, midwifery or you can choose the more traditional one where I'm working.
1: So that would um, be the pregnant mother could choose which path she wants. Yes. Yes. So, gotcha.
0: yeah. Um, so basically what you do is that where I work, uh, it's like a, the national health um where I work in, at a clinic, where it, which is only, perhaps, uh, well, it is only uh, midwife run. Um, you know, it's only midwives that are working there. And we do have doctors coming in maybe once or twice a week. If there's something special, we sign them on to this uh, doctor's appointment. But apart from that, it's only midwives that are looking after uh, the pregnant, straightforward uh, pregnancy.
1: And will you tell us a bit, is that true? Is that pretty normal in Sweden that there are a lot of midwifery run clinics? Yes. Do you know the proportion? That's
0: that's like the 99% of them. Um, Wow. Well, and even with the caseload midwifery, it's still midwives running it. So the doctors, midwifery in Sweden is is like a profession in, in its own right. So we don't stand you know, to answer to doctors, we are uh, trained to look f- uh, after this sort of straightforward pregnancy and birth. And anything that deviates from that, you you call uh, an obstetrician or a gynecologist in. So the, the pregnant woman don't necessarily have to meet uh, a, a, a doctor or an uh, obstetrician um, unless there's something that is, you know, needs attention from, from, from a doctor.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. And so there's, there's this great push in many parts of the world to make midwifery the gold standard where the woman, who, when she becomes pregnant, she first sees a midwife and it's the midwife yeah. who risks assess the woman and determines yes. who she's that's appropriate exactly. care. Yeah, And that's what that, happens in Sweden, You explained it
0: right? much better than me, but that, that's exactly how it is. So, we assess uh, the pregnancy. we make uh, like a sort of thorough background of the mom- woman 's health and you know throughout the pregnancy basically and then, like i said if if there 's something that needs more medical attention, then it 's up to the midwife to actually. Uh, make that cool so to speak, and
1: yeah. it's quite fantastic because you know Sweden, along with the rest of the Scandinavian nations, has been in the top five of the World Health Organization's best outcomes for yeah. several and, decades. And and I think yeah, this okay. is one of the reasons is that the the primary care falls to midwives.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. What matters is I think which is very good in Sweden is that what you were saying is that it is actually midwife run. Um, uh, uh, maternity clinics where you go, uh, which I think is, and also on the labor ward i mean a midwife in 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 on the labor ward is not under a doctor she is only or the obstetrician uh, she's she's assessing the straightforward birth, and like I said, if it deviates, then the other medical professions are cool!
1: yeah brilliant it's a brilliant model um i, I was just talking about this with another caller actually um yeah. this one i think from guatemala i can't remember exactly but but we were talking about how the quality of decision making around yeah. risk status when it's made yeah. by an expert in normal is very mm. different than when it's made by an expert in surgery
0: yeah i can see that yeah
1: and that's why the sweden model has been so fantastic and trying to be replicated around the world because it is so so effective statistics yeah. included
0: yeah yeah and also yeah carry on next question
1: <laughs> no you got it you got it well so um uh one question do do caseload midwives um ever deliver in birth center in home birth in sweden
0: uh no they don't. They they follow the, the, I think perhaps what they're leaning to, that this is just a model, like it used to be, you know, like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, you know, they had caseload midwifery and then everything turned. So you had to go to hospitals to have your baby basically. And the, the women who wanted to have home births, they had to apply for it. And it's still like that. You have to apply to to um, have it assessed and then to like granted it so it doesn't cost you a lot of money um, because so like, your
1: insurance so so explain that to me the insurance company requires the assessment
0: no uh, it's like this you know it doesn't cost you uh, the swedish uh, um, a swedish citizen don't have to pay to give birth in sweden it's all covered by our tax uh, paying. Do you understand? So you don't yes. pay through, via an insurance or anything like that. It's, uh, it's your tax money that pays for, for your birth. And the idea is, is that everyone has the right to the same um, uh, amount of care <clears throat> when you give birth. So you can't pay your way. It to have a sort of better birth, or uh, it doesn't go through an insurance company, it goes through your tax paying money. Mm -hmm. Nothing nothing costs, it's free. The maternity clinic is free, and also the labor is free. Uh, And it's not like uh, you can decide for the woman, you can only advise her whether it's you know, if you think that. It hasn't been a straightforward pregnancy, or it hasn't been um, the, the woman is free to choose this. However, there isn't a lot of midwives that practice home births. You have to be uh, quite specialized or, and or are willing to do the home births. Um, because uh, there's been quite a lot of controversy around it during the years. It's getting better and this discussion is coming up again. Um, but in Sweden, we don't have a lot of women um, choosing home births. You choose to, most women choose to have their babies in the hospital. And perhaps also because it's not a, a sort of thing, it has, it, it's not like, uh, oh, we, we bring it up and they say, what do you want? Do you want to have a home birth or do you want to go to hospital to have it? It's not like that. Most women uh-huh. still go to hospital. But uh-huh. at the hospitals and the clinics, then it's only midwives um, at to assess it at first. I mean there's right. doctors around and obstet- ob- obstetricians around, but it's the midwife who assesses the labor
1: right and yeah. so are there are there clinics or birth centers outside the hospital, or is it all in large hospitals
0: uh, uh, large hospitals. Uh, And and how about
1: rurally, even in the rural communities in Sweden?
0: You still go to hospital to have birth. Uh And of course, it's much more common that uh, people choose to have their babies if you live like a hundred miles from the nearest hospital. Uh, So they have a different approach to it. But they do recommend most women to still have their babies in the hospital. And they sort of mm-hmm. plan for it, uh, you know, in between. I know it's not the same in in England, for instance, where they have birth centers and midwife-run birth centers um, and so on. But in Sweden, it's not like that. But also big- in
1: Sweden, the hospitals are not like um, hospitals around the rest of the world. It's almost like there are many birth centers inside the yeah, hospital exactly. because it's midwifery exactly. run and they don't require... Exactly. It in. Yeah. So will you tell us about what a typical hospital ward is like in Sweden?
0: Yeah. Uh, when the woman um, starts her labor, she has probably, if it's been a straightforward pregnancy, then she's been to the midwife's perhaps 10 or 12 times during her pregnancy. Um, she has, uh, I know in the States you do much more ultrasounds. We only do one or two ultrasounds. It's called a routine ultrasound or a CUB ultrasound. Um, and it's all voluntary. You, you can choose not to do any of them if you don't want to. Um, and it's not like um, we recommend, you, know, you need to do this ultrasound and, and so forth. So when the woman is in labor, she's, uh, if it's her first baby, she usually has attended to, together with her partner uh, to uh, like a labor preparation class. Uh, when, when she's due and she's at home, we, she phones the hospital.
2: So my name is Åsa Holstein and I'm a Swedish midwife and I am presently living in Stockholm, Sweden. And I've been working as a midwife since 2005. I Awesome. Maybe with uh, births at a big um, hospital here in Stockholm. Yeah, so we've just
1: learned um, with our previous interview, a friend of yours, I think, um, Mm -hmm. Erica Gromberg, Mm -hmm. we learned from her that Sweden has a very integrated midwifery, but has a very interesting process of not doing caseload midwifery. The midwives don't follow the person all the way through. Actually, midwives have different assignments in the care. So will you tell us a little more about that and what your role is?
2: So yeah, so Sweden is a midwife-led country when it comes to pregnancy and birth, or low-risk pregnancy and birth. So um, um, right now I'm I'm running my own company as an entrepreneur, uh, and I have a company here in Stockholm that has lots of different courses for becoming parents, like Lamas classes and prenatal yoga and uh, infant CPR and first aid classes, lots of different classes for becoming parents or new parents. Um, but I've been doing that for almost 10 years at this really, really big birth uh, clinic in Stockholm that I think it's over 8,000 babies born there every year. So uh, it's a little bit like a factory. And, oh my goodness.
1: Well, so, so what we hear is that midwives um, either do prenatal care or clinic care or they do birth care. Will you tell us a little more
2: about how Sweden defines those? So yeah, you can actually, as, as a midwife, uh, we are trained to work in every field. Uh, and we also work with, um, uh, what do you call it, anticonception? Like a birth control clinic. Yeah, yeah. So we can work with that too. Um, we are allowed to write up prescriptions for that. So that's part of our education. So um, you, you actually choose depending on what your interest is, I think. So for me, it's always been, the interest in birth itself, but you can either work like with um, anticonception care, or you can work with prenatal care uh, in a clinic where you see the woman throughout pregnancy, uh, or you can work like I did, uh, or has done for many years, work in the actual birth clinic. So, but there is uh, one place in Sweden right now it's a project here in Stockholm, so there is a, a caseload um, project at one of the big Stockholm hospitals right now. Um, and they're evaluating it, and it's turning out beautiful. So I hope that's going to be the standard care in Sweden <laughs> five years from now. Yeah. Can you tell us a little
1: bit about the history? Because Sweden has been one of those gold standard countries in the world that has maintained primary midwifery care through the ages. And I'm wondering, yeah. when, did, when did midwives in Stockholm stop doing caseload midwifery and start doing this very pieced out kind of care?
2: Oh, it was um, in the beginning of the 20th century, around 1920, that the whole, there was a big shift in um, healthcare around pregnancy and childbirth. And women started to give birth in hospitals instead of giving birth at home. So that's when the shifts happened in Sweden. So we've never had like a caseload um, program here in Sweden. Um,
1: certainly there was Historically, before modern medicine, m- midwives were working in their own communities taking care of women. Oh, so yes, like yes, around, yes. Yes. Around yes, the yes. world.
2: Yeah. It's been the same but, in Sweden until it started to be like popular to give birth in, in the hospitals. Um, then you didn't have the caseload system anymore. So
1: I see. But there's an experiment to bring it back. That's very exciting.
2: Yeah, because there is, so much, there is so much research going on that shows it's, you know, it's best for the woman and for the partner yeah. and for the process. So, and also for the midwives, I think it's beautiful. The way, it's a beautiful way to work. Oh, I agree. Oh, that's so exciting.
1: Well, so right now, given the current system, what does birth look like in a hospital
2: in Sweden? Um, from what I've understood from, from the women I interview in my podcast that, that has given birth in the United States in hospital, it's very different you can have a very home like you can have a almost birth center kind of birth in a big hospital in sweden um, even though you have all the medical you know interventions that might be needed so, so you have your midwife or the midwife that's assigned to you the day you get there yes yeah, so you get is the midwife is- that you haven't met previously when you come uh-huh. into the, the the birth clinic um we're pretty hard here so so you, you a lot of women come in and they're not in active labor yet so then they are sent home again to uh-huh. work with a latent face at home which is different from in the united states from what i've understood yeah so uh, you might go back and forth a couple of times which is you know as the midwife we know that's not very good for the process because it's stressful <laughs> so we right. try to educate the women beforehand uh, why we think it's such a good idea to stay at home until you have regular contractions um, so, when they are accepted to the hospital, they meet the midwife, and the midwife has an assistant that she works together with, and if, and if everything is normal during the process, she will not meet the doctor, ever. She will only be attended by the midwife. I know that you have this very special podcast
1: that you have been launching. Will you tell us about your podcast and what you've been learning about the difference in birth? Because,
2: I mean, this is just fascinating, what you're doing. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I, I, there are so many horror stories going around in Sweden and other, other places uh, um, around birth, that I decided to make a podcast uh, in English to have more women be able to listen to it about positive birth. So it's just, it's a very narrow podcast and it's only about positive birth stories. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, that everything is rosy and happy and a pink cloud. <laughs> it can be with complications too, but the feeling that the woman has after giving birth is positive and empowering. Well, that's part of what I do also. And I do in Sweden, I also do um, a, really, uh, um, a really big podcast in Swedish about pregnancy and childbirth. Uh, but we, the, in that podcast, we cover all topics, so not only uh-huh. the positive births. Uh-huh. And what, what are the names of your two podcasts? So the, the English one is the Positive Birth Story podcast. And the Swedish one is uh, Podden, which is equivalent to the pregnancy podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Very cool. Very cool. That's so exciting. So tell us what you've been learning about the difference between births in the U.S. versus births in Sweden.
2: Oh, yeah. What I've been learning is that it seems like you really have to fight in the U.S. to get the birth that you want. Uh, especially if you give birth in hospital And it seems like it's more routine to have a lot of interventions than to not have interventions if you actually give birth in hospital from the
3: stories that I've heard. This is a listener-supported podcast. If you like what you're listening to and would like to hear more of it, please consider becoming a patron. It's easy to do worldwide midwifery has a patreon page that's patreon.com forward slash worldwide midwifery where you can choose your level of support starting at just two u.s dollars per month your financial support allows us to keep offering this content ad free and allows you to contribute to our guest choices if you would like access to our extensive show notes including our research segment there is a five dollar u.s option now we go back to Erica, and I asked her what she felt like she had to offer the international community.
0: I think what you're doing now is to trying to get all the midwives. You know, like it's all it's the same profession, and it's uh, we're doing the same thing, but it's not been so united as worldwide. I think this is a really, really good idea, and Thank I you. think to exchange, you know, ideas and. And this is how we do it in this country. This is what we're doing over here and so forth. is is very, very important. Uh, And um, I don't know if I have anything especially that I have to offer. I think the offer is, I think what you're doing is that we all get together and talk about it, you know.
1: Uh, It is is so fun, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Midwives are very good at talking.
1: <laughs> aren't we though I
0: love talk. yeah I
1: so what are you really really good at what's your thing I'm, in midwifery
0: i'm very very good at i think making people or women or the family because here in sweden the dads always come or we encourage the dads always to come to even the maternity clinic checkups so usually what they do is, is that they come along and I think I'm good at making them feel welcome and at ease and to be ready to speak about fears and anxieties or even just, you know, having a um, sort of one-on-one, um, uh, not, not nursing, one-on-one um, Oh, I can't, I can't find the English word for it now, but just to f- connect with people and to, to see their needs. I'm good at seeing somebody's needs. That's, mm. that's what I'm good at.
1: <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. So um, there's this midwifery phenomenon um, and in, in English, we call it holding space. Does that holding, make sense to you?
0: Holding space. I don't know. I don't know. You what don't that know means. that
1: phrase. No. Well, it's it it's a, a it's a phrase that's used to describe kind of the deep underwork of midwifery. Yeah. Like what like what you're saying like you can see what someone's needs are. Yeah. Um, in so in the birth space. A very
0: good word. Holding yeah, space. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In the birth space, or even just during a clinic prenatal visit, when they yeah. come in, the reason that they feel comfortable is mm. because of this phenomenon where you yeah. can create space for their, for their emotions and for their questions yeah. and they feel safe. Do yeah. you, do you know that feeling? Yeah,
0: I do. I absolutely, is a very good phrase actually. And I think it's very, very true. I think that midwives do become experts on this um and i I can tell you like it it's applied in every walk of life i'm I'm noticed that i'm quite good at it, you know, even if i'm not doing my midwifery <laughs> but it's it's very true, and I think midwives are very capable of that, and i don't know the reason for it because when I did my nursing and especially that I don't feel that that is the case, I think that It's very true to midwives, especially.
1: I agree. And in fact, I would say, I would go one step further and say, the profession that probably aligns most closely with midwifery in terms of this spiritual, psychological aspect of holding space is being a priest or a minister. I I agree.
0: Yes, God, that is very good. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Like something spiritual and something almost um, like uh, there can be a stillness um, in it and but also a deep sort of trust and even you know I it's very very true it's it's very connected to uh, anything that where you give guidance I think um, yeah uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you're right. It, I, I, I think it's very particular to just midwives. I don't see it with other colleagues who, who do the same. Uh, I think it's very true to midwi- midwifery. And I think it's the necessity. I think this is to be, to be a good midwife. This is a necessity. And I think you learn it. It doesn't happen straight away. I think it happens uh, as you go along. And right. I,
1: so, my question for all midwives around the world is: How do you teach this? Uh, I think. Oh God, that
3: is a
0: difficult question because it's almost—it's it? like, almost like a, you, an art form. Uh, so it's—I think it's hard. It, it, um, I don't know i th- because a talent is something different, you know if you have a talent of being good at speaking to people, I think midwives develop this talent to to have this trust between the birthing mother and and the midwife um i think I think it's teaching learning by what do you say teaching by learning i think it's only i think it's to do with the fact that you You see it in other midwives because in in Sweden, you do have, um, even when your first year of training, you have like a mentor uh, who is more experienced than the newly qualified midwives. And if you have a good mentor, which everyone has, then you probably pick up on this. And I think humans are quite good at learning by just seeing how other people are acting, you know, towards... Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, it's but whole it, it is a culture of midwifery, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it is a, a, a sorry, what did you say? It's a culture of
1: a culture of midwifery like it's a common part of the culture is this yeah. quiet powerful way of holding space.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it, it, and I really like that phrase. I'm going to I'm going to talk to my colleagues about it. I'm, and <laughs> I'm going to ask them <laughs> what they think because I think you're very right and I think that it's it takes a certain uh, I, th- I think you can learn it um and it's I wouldn't say it's a talent I think it's something like like spirituality that you pick up on uh where you you realize that to be uh sort of like what I called an a an M- accident and emergency nurse you do you know that type where it's quite sort of um, it's a different environment to work in an A&E department than it is in, in a labor ward for instance and you have a certain type of nurses which are are probably necessary there you don't have at the labor ward because that wouldn't give you anything but you know it wouldn't give you a, a, that environment for for the mother to to feel safe in I think you have you realize that that the holding space is uh, something that is necessary, you know, to in order to make the woman. Because I don't think there is a midwife on on the on the planet that finds her job uninteresting. Or, you know, when you're there, you're there. You know, like especially on the labor ward. Um, that you have to be very much like with the mother or, and the partner in the moment with, with the person or, or the, with the people, um, you know, who's, who's the, the family. You have to yeah. be very much uh, there to, to, you can't be somewhere else in your thoughts or in your, and I think that uh, midwifery are very good at that. Once you step into the birthing room I think that that magic happens is that the midwife is very aware of that. I can't, I have to be here with them in every thought, you know, um, yeah. so I think they're very good at it. And, yeah. Yeah. And holding space. I like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good. Yeah. So, so that, tell us your wildest, most extreme or crazy moment in midwifery. Oh, I don't know.
0: I think it was uh, when I did my, and I find it very, I always tell this when I did my, my midwifery training, I was, had a mentor uh, that was very, very experienced. She was one of those midwives that you know, you just looked up to and uh, what have you. And she had, um, I don't know, um, a baby that was big and it was a vaginal birth and, um, and the baby got stuck, Uh, I uh, schooled the uh, shoulder, how do you call it um, in English? The the shoulders.
1: uh, Shoulder dystocia. Mm -hmm. Yes,
0: so the shoulder dystocia. Um, But the mother was very determined and the midwife who was very experienced she really just helped this mother to really push and she managed to release the shoulders the baby weighed 5.6 kilos nearly six kilos Uh, and she did it all on her own she didn't call a doctor in she was working with um, the mother very very closely you know like very closely and uh, they had that magical, you know, partnership, the mother and the midwife. And I was like a midwife a student standing just in awe, you know, with this. I wouldn't say that perhaps is my my wildest moment, but it was certainly one of my most sort of, oh, my God, she is really the best person <laughs> in this room. This midwife who delivered this nearly six kilo. Baby, and release the shoulders. Um, do you know how long it took? About twenty minutes, I think.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Yeah, and she had me whole you know, pushing and, um, you know, on abdomen, and she was telling me exactly what to do, and you know, it was just completely um, beautiful. And she did it. And actually, there was a, a doctor coming in and. Uh, an obstetrician who was quite young and she just the midwife who's delivering this baby she just asked the doctor to take a step back she just said I need you to not say anything just stand in the corner uh you know or just go out
3: <laughs> she wow.
0: did it and it was completely wow. amazing and I thought okay I want to be like that
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the both mom and baby were okay yeah yeah fine Wow. yeah yeah. That's such a long time. They say that there's 4 minutes from shoulder dystocia for the potential for brain damage. No,
0: it- I know, no, no, but this was like 20 minutes after she'd found out like the baby not to take the baby out, but you know, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it was, you know, once she she was starting I, I don't remember exactly, but it was yeah. when the baby was pushing, but that was one of those really aha uh-huh moments for me that it was completely she can she was so skilled and so wonderful at this so that really set the mark for me you know where okay midwives are a profession in their own right you
1: know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah And experts. an experts expert in their own right
0: yeah an expert in their own right and that's yeah. actually how they see it here you know I don't know anyone who hasn't got the utmost respect for midwives here in Sweden. It's is is quite sort of um, a profession that people look up to. Uh, I'm very proud of it and very much. Uh, I mean, the pay isn't brilliant, but you know, nor is nursing. But uh, you know, at least it's a very respected profession. Uh, I don't say, it's, I would never, I've never heard anyone who consider it as a second class, uh, you know, would like you expressed it. I don't, what did you say? Second class citizen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's like how, it, that's how midwives are treated in, in many parts of the yeah, world.
0: Yeah. It's not like that here. And that, of course, yeah, if you go to developing countries um, and so forth, it's, it's, I can imagine, um, but it's, it's very, I think it's a profession where here most people find it completely, you know, oh, they are almost a bit humble, you know, and everyone, yeah. of course, when you go to parties, want to tell their, their labor stories <laughs> when you tell them. Yeah, yeah. Which I, <laughs> that the I really, I, I enjoy that actually. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wonderful. No,
0: but it's, it's, um, um, you know, it's one of those, but I was quite unprepared because I probably have more amazing birth stories, but I, that was the first one that came
1: out. So I love um, it. I really love it because it is one of those really real moments. And, yeah. and this witnessing this preceptor who is even more skilled than the young doctors is really yeah. indicative of what's yeah. happening. She
0: yes. just told him, it, Can you stand outside? So, and, yeah. and he did it. You know, he, Good, he would, wouldn't dare to come near her. You know, because just, he also uh, respects the yeah voice. yeah very much, I mean yeah. here they have like it's it's supposed to be a, well, it is a multidisciplinary team, you know, like where you work together, you give reports together, um you know, where you are talking about oh, I have this uh, first time going room one, or you know what not, and um, so they do, but it's it's very it's a different um it's it's very. I, th- I think it's very um, for for the even for the young doctors or obstetricians they are very sort of respected. Yeah, yeah. really, the midwives here, which I yeah. enjoy. But it was a long time ago. I worked in the labor ward. I have to add that, you know, my my speciality now is is also like on the maternity wards here in Sweden. We also take a look after the young woman uh, where we give advice about contraceptives and so forth, and and I enjoy that work too. And also the menopause woman uh, can come to the maternity clinic. You know, it's called midwifery clinics here in Sweden. And we also take uh, pap smears on everyone up to 67 years old um, every three years. And they are also, it's a free screening in this country. And like I said, contraceptives are free for everyone under 23. Mm
4: -hmm. So even if
0: you're um, like a a young woman wanting to have, we are trying to promote intrauterine devices for young women to have long-term contraceptives. So we do that that too at our clinics. We we do the intrauterine devices as well. And they are also free, which is... So we're trying to make people have um, you know uh, long-term contraceptives.
3: This episode's research is from Ola Anderson. He's a doctor and PhD and he is currently the attending in neonatology at Skandin University Hospital in Sweden. Dr. Anderson is a part of the European Society for Pediatric Research. His research has focused on maternal and child health, and most recently, he has been doing research in Sweden and Nepal on delayed cord clamping. His newest research is on delayed cord clamping and the effect during resuscitation.
4: My name is Ulla uh, Andersson, and uh, I'm a neonatologist. I work in, uh, in South Sweden at the University Hospital of um, Lund and Malmö. I, do, I have been um, doing research on cord clamping for about 12 years now. Um, yeah, well, that's, I suppose, what, uh, what I can tell. What a, made
1: you interested yeah. in that subject?
4: Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's actually that um, my uh, former wife, she's a midwife, and uh, she, uh, there was a, a sort of surveillance of the, the fetal uh, uh, um, heart. In, uh, there was a new invention in, in Sweden in the, the 1990s. They tried to test it in the hospitals, and then they wanted to do immediate cord clamping in the hospitals. And, and that was also the case in the hospital where I was working at that time. So she came home telling me, and I was a pediatrician at that time, telling me about uh, how crazy it was that uh, they were supposed now to do immediate cord clamping. and. I, as at that time, most of my colleagues in the pediatric and neonatology department, we were not aware about that there would be a sort of question about when to clamp the cord. But I started to to read into the subject, and uh, of course also thought that, well, is this really the best thing to do? And uh, and well, one. Uh, thing led to another and uh, when trying to ask and discuss uh, the the clamping time with with, uh, obstetricians or colleagues everybody uh, well we're referring to very old and not very good research so i decided to try to to find out more uh, about the the time of clamping and what effect it has so then we started a randomized controlled trial here in sweden in uh, 2008 and from there on you might say
1: <laughs> that is fantastic I, I love that story so um, tell us the results of, of that study and also um, how you started working in Nepal
4: yeah so so that study it's it's I think it's the the um, it really got a lot of attention when it was published in 2011 uh, uh, there was a, a, a piece of it in New York Times and in uh, and The Economist even wrote about it because we showed that the iron deficiency in the newborns at four months of age, it was um, reduced with 90%, almost gone at all. And, and this was between when we compared the immediate cord clamping with uh, three minutes. And uh, then we did a follow up uh where we we studied these children at four years of age uh this was 400 babies that we then follow up at uh, at four years of age and we could show that that uh, the the babies that had a delayed cord clamping after three minutes they had better uh, fine motor function and in a, in a, at least a small sense also uh, there was signs of the improved social behavior And this was, um, we had this published in JAMA Pediatrics. And uh, if you read the ACOG uh, um, ACOG recommendations from, you will see that they changed from immediate to 30 to 60 seconds referring to this trial. So that's one of my, I would say one of my, the accomplishments that I'm mostly proud of is that we actually uh, had the ACOG at least uh, put the core clamping time a little bit later than they did before. I, I got in contact with a professor in, uh, in the University of Uppsala who uh, was involved in uh, research in the Helping Babies Breathe program in Kathmandu. And they were finishing this study and there was a research t- uh, team on place that they they were looking for new uh, research to perform because you know they have every every a lot of trained uh, nurses and uh, doctors that that were ready to do more research and then i was asked to if i was interested in doing cord clamping trials down there and then we first uh, performed almost like a parallel study to the swedish study where we could looked at uh, there they had a, a at that time, they clamped the cord just before one minute at this hospital in Nepal. And then we compared it with after three minutes. We could show that iron deficiency was reduced by a little bit more than 40% at eight months. And we could, which we, I was really interested in being able to show, to show that the anemia was reduced by 9% still at 12 months of age. And then it was comparing before one minute and after three minutes. So there is, uh, from from our research, we try to to show that there is actually a, a benefit in waiting more than one minute.
1: Wow, wow! Yeah. How exciting! And so, when was that published?
4: That that was published also in JAMA Pediatrics in 2017. Both of these, uh, all of these studies, we have of course checked Billy Rubin and John and. Uh, and we have, haven't seen any differences. We haven't seen any higher risks of uh, jaundice or need of phototherapy, either in Sweden or in uh, Nepal, when, when trying to look at that.
1: And of course, that used to be the reason for early cord clamping, was this idea that we would have all these jaundice babies. And you've since disproved that.
4: Well, we, which, I, you know, that's one reason, we tr- really, because, of course, when you're doing s- studies, you, you just don't want to look for the good things that could happen, but also the risks of your, of your risk. You look at the Cochrane review done on, on term children uh, and, and cord clamping. That's what they did show as a risk is that there is a, a higher rate of um, phototherapy in the, in the delayed cord clamping group. And, and uh, this Cochrane report has been criticised uh, among others by Judith Mercer who is a very known midwife in the cord clamping research area that they, that they didn't take bilirubin, they didn't assess bilirubin in all these studies. So they were just looking at the baby and deciding which babies needed phototherapy. So when you look at uh, at all the what what I can see from all studies that are actually measuring bilirubin, none of the studies has shown any difference between early and delayed core clamping. So that's of course, as you say, it's a it's one of the reasons why people still are hesitant in in performing it, and it's all about an old, uh, uh, quite bad study that are living still living in the in the in this uh, literature and it's uh, very important to try to find uh, data that either, uh, you know, talks against it or, or for it.
1: Indeed. Well, um, would you just, I know maybe you don't want to go on the record so you can, you can say no if you want, but I was wondering if you would draw implications or conclusions from your research, maybe even recommendations for care.
4: So this new study on resuscitation, it was really, it's, uh, it's been, of course, in, in our minds for a lot of years now that the, the, as, as the, the babies that has uh, asphyxia or at least has problems starting breathing, they might be the ones that among term infants that would be gaining more mostly from, from not clamping the cord. So that's what we really wanted to find out in Nepal. Uh, And we uh, had very long long preparations. I think it took almost two years for us to prepare before the study, training, and uh, planning. And uh, and uh, then when we performed the study, still, even when we did all this planning and all this uh, training, there was a very high. Uh, rate of people or persons don't not following the protocol. So among the babies that were supposed to be, about half of them were actually early clamped, and that's a a, a large um, method methodological. Uh, yeah, you know, there is a large error in the method there, which yeah. also makes it this paper. Uh, it's it's more like a positive sign for more research than drawing large conclusions. In all humbleness, that's really important to say. And I would say if we didn't have this high attrition rate, we would publish in a, a, a more, um, a even more um, known um, journal. But I think that's one of the, the reasons that the, 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 yeah, you know, the, the journals with impact higher impact score were we're not uh, accepting this study, and and it's it's true. Uh, there is this large problem. So I, I would say that this encouraged people. I, I This study should encourage people to do more studies. I, that's absolutely the. And and we didn't see any risks or any drawbacks in doing resuscitation in the bed of the mother. So so um, it will help all of us who wants to to learn more uh, to do. More studies, but you couldn't, I couldn't uh, draw any, give any recommendations. But it gives me hope that this might absolutely help babies all around the world in the future.
1: How exciting!
4: Yeah.
1: How exciting. Well, thank you again um, so much for being willing to speak with me on the record.
3: Whenever I ask a midwife to speak to us on the Worldwide Midwifery podcast, I ask them to tell a birth story. Let's listen in.
2: Yeah, I had this really interesting birth. It was uh, young. She was really young. She was 16 years old. Uh, And she came in uh, via the ER because she had stomach pain. And she'd been uh, uh, playing soccer that day, a soccer game. Uh, she was pretty skilled with soccer. So it was a high-level soccer game for a 16-year-old girl. Uh, and She was um, she had to leave the soccer game and came into the ER with pain in her stomach. And they pretty rapidly realized that she was pregnant. And when she came up to the delivery ward where I worked, she, you could hardly tell. You know, she was a little bit chubby. She was 16. <laughs> uh, and she wore sweatpants and a big sweater. Um, and um, I think she kind of knew that she was pregnant, but had suppressed it, but she hadn't told her mom. Uh, it was such a, it was a beautiful birth to experience because first she had this, um, she had this conflict with the mother. Um, he became really, really furious with her that she hadn't told her about the pregnancy. Um, and the more hours she worked with contractions, the more she let out the stomach. So after like three hours with contractions, she, she was fully pregnant. <laughs> so it's like she held the baby towards the spine because she didn't want it to show the pregnancy. And the more she relaxed and the more her mother kind of um, accepted that, okay, this is what it is. She's pregnant and she's having a baby right now. <laughs> the more she let the, you know the whole pregnancy come out. <laughs> I, I wow. there was something so beautiful with it. And we said, you know, with this whole process of, you know, the secret and the mother and the daughter and the, the guilt and, the, uh, and then in the room during the birth, the acceptance and the love. <laughs> and how, how we can, you know, with willpower <laughs> kind of hide. Uh, I haven't seen that before. Hide a pregnancy just by tucking in the, I don't know, the muscles in the stomach. (laughs) Well, it's also, yeah, I have, it's almost energetic,
1: you know, it's like her energy is held in until she accepts it. Yeah. I've helped a number of teen moms. I used to work for, um, an actual, in the U S they used to call them homes for unwed mothers, you know, Mm. very, very old, old, um, thought process, but I used to work for one in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. And, um, and, we frequently got girls who arrived nine months pregnant because that's mm. when the first person noticed, you know, cause they were mm. able to hold it in all the way. Mm. Um, and I actually was called to a birth, um, at the hospital with a woman who, um, was also 16 or 17 and had come in with stomach pains and didn't mm. know she was pregnant. Mm. And so they called, um, they called us in to support them in this process. And, oh my gosh the shock, the awe, and the power. It's so fascinating. I think most, at least in America, I, I don't know where, what you think where you are, but in America, I think that we have been so conditioned to believe that birth is painful, mm. that, that if you have never taken in that messaging, it's actually not that painful. No, like, no. It's almost
2: like yeah. a learned process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we're taught. It's super painful.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you don't and so, know
2: anything, you don't, you don't expect anything. Yeah, that's Exactly. Anything, so
1: this, she came to the hospital and she had stomach pain, but mm. she thought it was stomach pain. You know, she thought I have diarrhea or I have yes. intestinal pain, you know, so, so she, it never was that bad. And then she had a baby. And afterwards she was like, I can't believe how much that was okay. Like that wasn't like I thought it would be. Because she never took it on that that's what it was until right at the end, and then she pushed out a baby. You know, yeah, I she know, had so spent... cool, But that's
2: yeah. It's like yeah. That it, that is the thing with birth. It's so much a mind of a matter. <laughs> yeah. Thing, oh, yeah. So. Exactly.
1: Or even like even a habituation, right? So mm-hmm. if you're if we're habituated to this mm-hmm. idea that it's mm-hmm. going to be the worst pain you ever felt, and it will just it will be unbearable then, of course, it's kind of unbearable. But if instead you think, oh, this is just like stomach pain, then it's not that bad. It's funny yeah. what the mind does with it. Right? Yeah. It's, it's so yeah. Well, so um, did she make a lot of noise in labor? Did she do okay? And how did she welcome the baby?
2: Tell us the rest of the story. Oh, uh, uh, I can't remember her making a lot of noise. Uh, by the end, she made some noise. But just, you know, the moon, the moon anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, And she was so, she got a little girl and she was just so happy when she arrived. I was a little bit afraid that it would be hard for her to connect with the baby, but she was just overjoyed Wow! (laughs) and her mother too. So it was just, it was, it was beautiful to be part of that journey (laughs) from the secret to the conflict, to the, to the power, to the, to the joy.
3: Wow. (laughs) That is so
1: beautiful. I love that.
2: Uh, we don't have you- that many teen pregnancies in Sweden, so that's why I remember it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so so why is that, do you think?
2: Uh, we have a really good system about contraceptives, uh, uh-huh. but also we have a high abortion rate, too. It's, it's um, uh-huh. a, an abortion-friendly country, which I'm very proud of. That it's free, that anyone can access it? Yeah, you can access it, and you can do it easily. Do you have to have parental uh, pr- um, choice, or...? No, no, and so any,
1: uh,
2: yeah, you can do it without your parents knowing.
1: Uh Uh
2: But also, yeah, that's sexual education in school, and it's uh, you know, we have um clinics for young uh, women and young boys where they can Uh go without telling their parents, Uh, Uh and it's 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 free of charge, so it's easy accessible to get contraceptives and get knowledge about how to not become pregnant and what to do if you become pregnant. Brilliant. Brilliant.
1: And so you've been traveling in the U.S. some and interviewing women, right?
2: Yeah. Ah, so tell us about that trip. Oh, that was so exciting. Um, I went to a um, camp for adults last year in August, upstate New York, the Good Life Project camp um, for, oh, what was it about? It was, it was a lovely camp. It was about sustainable entrepreneurship. <laughs> Uh, and uh, there I met so many interesting women. Uh, and uh, when I said I was a midwife, they all told me about their, their births, of course. And so many women had such positive experiences. And then I asked them, like, you've got to tell this story to everyone, it's such an amazing story. And all of them said, no, no, I hardly ever speak about it um, because I don't want to offend the, the women that hasn't had good stories. And I just felt that was so sad. What happens to all the good stories? Because as a midwife, I know that there are more good stories than bad stories, at least in Sweden. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case in the US, if you look upon the statistics for your country. But in Sweden, that's the case. So I just, um, yeah. And then I hooked up with some women, uh, and I decided that I had to come back and record them live in the States. What an amazing journey. Yeah. Yeah. I I took my equipment in this bag and I I traveled to the US and, you know, life is what you make it.
1: (laughs) Oh, I agree entirely. I'm doing the same thing. I'm traveling internationally because partly because I really want to get these live recordings because it sounds so amazing to hear folks in their own environment talk about their experience. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's also like when you... For now, we're doing this via a Zoom call. It's something happens when you are sitting opposite to another person. It's something with the chemistry. And for me, I felt it was so important because it's so, yeah, it's so sacred and personal to tell someone that you don't know your birth story. Yeah, it's very (laughs) intimate. Yeah, yeah, it's super intimate. And uh, Mm -hmm. I find that um, the stories are, um, what do you say, more... uh, true what's what would you say authentic yeah, authentic. Authentic. Yeah, authentic yeah yeah mm. yeah when we meet in person so yeah it was it was a great trip
1: that's so amazing so what brought you to maternal child health why are you a
2: midwife oh it, to become a midwife in sweden i don't think it's the same in the states but it might be but you need to be a nurse first um and do um you have to work as a nurse for at least a year or two before you can go into midwifery college. Uh, but I knew from the start that that was what I wanted to become. Um, I've had a fascination around birth ever since I was a young girl. Um, that just grew stronger on me. So I, I choose between becoming a midwife and a lawyer. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I came, came into both <laughs> educations, well. so um, yeah. Much to my stepfather's disappointment, who is a lawyer, but uh, I've always been very happy about my career choice. <laughs> or it's actually yeah. more—it's more, you know—it's it, isn't it more a lifestyle to be a to be a, a midwife than a career choice? It's a way of life, I think. That's a great way to say
1: it. I agree. Mm. It's not so much a job you can leave at
2: home; no. it's always with you. Yeah. So I never say yeah. I work as a midwife. I always say I am a midwife because that's oh. what I am.
4: <laughs>
1: I love that. I love that. That's so true. In the U.S., in the U.S., we say it's a calling. You no, know? oh, it's a calling. Yeah, like it, you get called to it. You don't choose it.
2: Yeah, I I I agree upon that too. But if we say that in Sweden, that's part of why we're so poorly paid <laughs> <laughs> because it's a calling it's a calling and then if it's a calling you don't have to you know <laughs> pay us as much <laughs> as we are worth <laughs> so yeah
1: I agree that's a very important distinction let's yeah, also be paid I try what we're so
2: yeah it's, it's yeah. calling but it's also you know yeah very, totally. a very responsible job
1: <laughs> what have you learned in these many years of midwifery that you wish was common knowledge the world over. What do you know now that you wish everyone
2: knew? Uh, That uh, the fewer interventions we do, that's not called upon because of medical reasons, uh, the safer it is. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, so we got to do the right interventions and the right checkups but we got to quit doing all those other interventions and checkups that just yeah. make everything confusing because it's uh, it's for most women. It's a healthy, normal, safe process. If um, you are guided by a skilled midwife. So, um, and as a midwife, I, I think it's also the beginner's face. It's, it's hard to really trust the process, I think, but the more years I worked, the less interventions I did. So by the end I hardly did any interventions. <laughs> I just I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Look, so, it just happens every time yeah, over and over. Yeah, yeah
2: it just works. Yeah, just, first just first. trust it, trust the woman, trust the process and you know, keep your hands away. <laughs> yeah, birth working most most yeah. situations and also of course as a midwife you always have to have that. Um, risk scenario what if this happens and this happens and I do this and I do this and I do that you always have to be on your toes of course and know what to do but uh, wait it out oh yeah
1: yeah I talk about finding the balance yeah yeah what I've learned is
2: that like um, have more midwives all over the place I think Uh, oh actually it's not only I that think that it's also research that show that it's safer for the mother and the baby and the pregnancy. So. Yeah, the World Health Organization is,
1: yeah. is using 2020 as the year of the mm-hmm. midwife, you know, and, yeah. and they're, they're helping to share these details that, that it actually is safer for most women to have midwifery care um and we need so many more midwives it's crazy how many more midwives we have
2: we need in order to so to, to many meet more this midwives to help women yeah. with low risk pregnancies and we yeah. really help them safely throughout pregnancy and birth yeah 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 we know, we know our, our shit <laughs> yeah
1: we do it. there we go i'm quoting you on that one okay <laughs> that's great um so uh This is obvious, but will you say it just for our listeners? Mm -hmm. Why does the world need more midwives?
2: Oh, because we are experts on um, low-risk pregnancy and birth, um, which makes it really safe for the woman and the baby throughout pregnancy and birth. That's how we are trained, and that's our special skill. Yeah, it's safer. It's safer to look upon it as a normal and healthy process than to do so many checkups and an ultra scan every time and whatever.